Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 1 Peter chapter 4. As we pick up where we left off in 1 Peter chapter 4, and I have good news and I have bad news. Don't you hate that? I mean, why don't you just give me the good news? Keep the bad news for yourself. I don't know how you are, but when somebody comes to me like that, I, I always prefer the bad news first. Just get it out of the way. Tell me what I need to hear so that we can end our conversation with good news. But today... That's what I want to share with you, the good news, that Jesus Christ is alive and is coming again soon. Jesus promised in John 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am, Jesus says, there you may be also, and where I go, the way you know. And this has been and continues to be the most encouraging promise of Jesus that Christians have held on to since the day of Pentecost. The soon return of Jesus. Every generation of believers have lived expecting his soon return, and I believe God intended it that way. That every generation would be looking to him and living in a sense where purity and growth and dependence would be rooted in the fact that Jesus could return at any moment. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved... Now we are children of God and has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone, listen, everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. And that's just the best news that I can hear as a Christian today in whatever we're facing. That's just the best news to know that this is not all there is that we have an eternal heavenly hope that my Savior and my King and my Lord is returning for me to fulfill His promises in my life. And it's true. Things can be very, very tough right now and difficulties abound. But the good news is that Jesus is coming again and we get to be a part of His work on the earth until He does. Notice with me in verse 7 now with that in mind in 1 Peter chapter 4, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Notice verse 8. And above all things, have fervent love for for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, verse 11, let him speak as the oracles of God. And if anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability with which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory, the dominion, forever and ever. Amen. The early church believed that Jesus was returning soon. And because of what they're going through, And because of all of the challenges they face, and because they realize that the coming of the Lord is closer than ever before, there are responsibilities. We're not just to check out on life and say, well, you know, the Lord's coming back. We'll just live however we want. He's going to return. We we don't need to pay attention. We don't need to be good citizens. But no, he says, because the end of things are at hand, be serious and be watchful in your prayers. As you anticipate the soon return of Jesus, it requires a seriousness and a faithfulness and a prayerfulness in your life. We're living in times that are amazingly swirling out of control. 
We are watching things literally unfold right before our eyes. And I think the real surprising part isn't that we've studied this in the Bible for years and years and years, and we know it's coming and know it's predicted, and we see the hint along the way. I think one of the great surprises that we're really facing right now is that we're seeing with our own eyes so much of what's predicted. Like, it's kind of like, you know, we think the Lord's going to come back and we won't have to experience, we won't have to see it, but God is telling us right now, no, I want to show you a lot of things. I want to give you insight into the days in which you live, and with that insight comes a call to seriousness and watchfulness. And you know that the times that we're living in are calling for more seriousness. Listen, God's will for your life is to take your relationship with Him seriously, To let it be the most serious thing that you pay attention to. To let it become the most serious commitment in your life. To get back, if you need to be, to that place where the Bible says that in order to follow Jesus, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. This is no time of game playing for the life of the believer. No time to be sidetracked. No time to get get up involved in things that have no eternal value. But rather, the command is to be serious. Some translations might translate that sober. Sober up, church. Wake up. The coming of the Lord is at hand. And we're closer to the Lord's return than ever before. Jesus, I mean, think about it. Jesus could come out of heaven at any moment with that glorious trumpet sound. And Peter knows what he's talking about here. He knows what it's like to be sleeping when you should be awake. He knows what it's like to fall asleep in a time of its most urgent need. You'll remember in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 40, he was sleeping in the garden while Jesus was praying. It says, then he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And here's the thing. This is Jesus says this and we all say amen to it. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And it's just true. I've been blessed to see and to hear more and more men and women, especially in the times in which we live, come back to a place of seriousness within the life of our own church. Place of seriousness, watchfulness, to hear of the prayers that are being lifted, to know that, man, we as a church can affect eternity through our prayer lives. But we're not going to affect eternity just by sleepwalking. And not paying attention to the days in which we live. Be serious, church. Watchful. Continually alert. You can circle that word watchful and right next to it, continually alert. Continually alert. Sober-minded. Notice verse 8. And above all things. So you be serious. Yes, Lord. Be watchful. Yes, Lord. Be prayerful. Yes, Lord. And above all things. Wait a minute. Something more important than being serious? Something more important than be watchful? Something more important than being prayerful? Yes. Above all things, have a fervent love, notice, for one another. In the church. Among us. This is the proving ground for our love for one another. I know we rub each other the wrong way. I know that we cause difficulties for each other. I know that we sin against each other. Uh, You know, prayerfully, it's not willfully, it's not on purpose, but the reality of us having friction and difficulties, that happens. But love covers a multitude of sins. Above all things, have that fervent. Remember, we've already looked at that word. It means to be on fire. It means to be, it's along the lines of seriousness. Have a real burning love for one another. And one way to check the temperature on our love for one another is whether we are covering sin. Now, let's be clear here. In covering sin, Peter is not saying that we excuse sin in the body of Christ. Peter is not saying we make excuses and we overlook sin. Quite the opposite. I mean, even if you ever take the Bible and read into it that sin's not serious, then you don't understand the cross of Jesus Christ. If sin wasn't serious, then God would not have to send his only begotten son to die on your behalf, on your sinful behalf. And mine. So sin is serious. So this covering is not a covering where we don't take sin seriously. And by the way, if you're new here to Calvary, I just want you to know, we take sin seriously. It may make you uncomfortable. And you may not like it. 
But let me tell you something. You walk into a church that doesn't take sin seriously, get out of that church. That's not a church following Jesus. You need to hear about your current condition before God. Until you fully understand sin, you'll never really appreciate the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace and the goodness of God. And so we take sin seriously. But we also know that love covers. We know that love covers. We're not wanting to excuse sin, but we're wanting to forgive sin. There's a great illustration of this. Come back with me to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. I want you to see this. I want you to mark it. Even in your Bibles, write the cross-references so you can always refer to this. It's such a beautiful picture of what covering sin looks like. And here in chapter 9 of Genesis, after many days of tossing and turning upon the floodwaters, the ark finally comes to a rest. Noah and his family, they exit the ark to repopulate the earth. And they're excited about their new life. But it appears that Noah gets a little too excited and he begins to make serious mistakes, sinful mistakes. Pick up with me in verse 20. Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. Noah began to be a farmer and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was, what does your Bible say? Drunk. One of the first things recorded of Noah after he gets off the ark is, He starts to farm, and he gets drunk on the fruit of the vine. And he becomes uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and notice, told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward, covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. What a picture of two types of people in the church. One we could call unloving, and the other we can call loving. On one side, we have Ham here in verse 22. Notice it it describes him as seeing the nakedness of his father. And I guess the best way to understand this is there is, just put the word drunken next to it. He's this drunken nakedness. The kind of behavior that comes from an out-of-control, drunken person. It doesn't just simply, you know, his clothes falling off. It is, there's some kind of connotation of drunken, sinfulness, sexual debauchery here. And his son sees it. And the very first thing he does is he sees and he tells. That is not what's being described. That's not a loving thing to do. That's not what's being described by Peter here. It's not very loving to see someone's drunken sinfulness and to tell. Instead of rushing in to help his own dad, what does he do? He seeks to expose and advertise it. He seeks to humiliate his dad if his drunken, as if his drunken nakedness wasn't already humiliating. Now that it's been revealed to him, Ham makes a conscious choice to make it worse for his dad. To make it worse. On the other side, we have the brothers Shem and Japheth in verse 23. What do they do? Well, when they hear of their father's drunken nakedness, when they hear it, notice they have no desire to see it. Because it's just things when you see, you can't unsee. There's just things when you see, you can't unsee. That's one of the great reasons why you'll hear strong words against pornography here. There are things you see that you won't be able to unsee. And it will corrupt you on the inside. You you want, like Job said, you want to make a covenant with your eyes between you and the Lord and keep your eyes and your heart pure. Your eyes are the gateway into your soul. And there's things you see you just can't unsee. So they choose to avoid. They don't want to unsee it. They don't want to see it to be unsee. So what do they do? It says that they take a garment, they put it on their shoulders, and they walk in backwards. And notice the word in the Hebrew, they covered the nakedness of their dad. They cover him. They don't expose him, make fun of him. They cover him. Jot it down in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. It says, he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter 
separates friends. You know, those that repeat matters are called gossips. That's the sin of gossip. And there's a lot of gossip going on that's not being called gossip today. There's a lot of the desire to know things about people and find out the difficult. There's a lot of gossip going on both with mouth, with word, and with ears. And it just isn't loving. And it's, you know, you think the world doesn't notice that stuff. They do. They pay attention. They watch very carefully those men and women that claim the name of Jesus Christ. And they know, and they can see love. They may not be able to, you know, call it agape. You know, they may not be able to be all three words in the four words in the Greek that the Greeks use for love. They may not be able to quote chapter and verse, but they know love when they see it. They understand a supernatural work of God. And so in these last days, when all things are going out of control, above all things, church, have fervent love for one another. But instead, in the days in which we live, we have pastors and preachers and people making fun of others in the current culture, calling them names, not at all reflecting the love of, of Jesus. But I mean, this is the church. This, this church over here has got this decision. This church over here has got this decision. So the pastor, in order to curry favor from his fellowship, starts calling names, calling names of people in other churches. I mean, as I've shared previously, I've never seen the church so divided in all the years of ministry. And it's not God's will for you to be name-calling. It's not God's will for you to be exposing things. It's not God's will for you and I to elevate our opinions above the Word of God. What's God's will? Above all things, have fervent love for one another. And just understand, we're not going to see things the same way. We're not going to always agree on things. We're going to rub each other the wrong way. There's going to be friction among us. There's even going to be sin among us. And the remedy for sin is repentance and forgiveness. Walking in backwards. I don't want to be a part of it. Let's just get to the root and let's just solve it. Let's cover it. Dad's going to get sober soon enough. The situation's going to pass soon enough. And once we all sober up, or once Pop's sober up, then we can talk to him. And then we can help the brother. And then we can say, look, look, Dad, Dad listen, that, it wasn't wise. Good to be a farmer, bad to get drunk. Do you know what you did? I mean, in today's age, it would be snapped up and put on Snapchat and it would be put on Instagram. Look at my dad. Look at my dad. But that's not fervent love. Exposing and advertising. Peter says love covers a multitude of sins. We're not talking about them. We're not posting it on social media. We're not making five different phone calls. We're not mentioning them in our prayer meetings. We're walking in backwards. We're covering. We're helping. We're restoring. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a brother is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love covers, doesn't excuse, but also doesn't expose. And this is for these last day believers. This is what God is looking for from his church. This is what he's filling us with his Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit right, off the, right out of the gate. The, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. The Bible says. Verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory, dominion forever and ever. This is so cool because the, the word of love, what love does when it's flowing through a church is it, it serves to move people in ministry. Remember, when we think of the word minister, we don't think of the title or the position. Well, you know, like you, you can't think today, well, Pastor Ed, you're the minister, so you get to minister and we're the spectators, and then maybe one day we might be able to grow up into ministry. That's not what the Bible teaches, and that's not what we believe. 
We believe what the Bible teaches in the priesthood of all believers, that every one of us is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What makes us different is our giftings. What makes us different is how, what, what maybe our maturity, the role that God may have for us, but all of us are ministers. And it doesn't matter where our paycheck comes from. Whether you receive your paycheck from the government because you're up at Buckley, or you receive your paycheck from Safeway, or you receive your paycheck from the Olive Garden, it doesn't matter. You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you were born again, you were born again to abide in Christ and to serve him wholeheartedly. And little by little, God is maturing you and growing you. And it's not that I have to do anything, and it's not that you have to do anything. It's that we get to serve the Lord. We get to minister. One of the ways we minister to one another is we're hospitable. Hospitable. We open our homes for ministry as we begin to plan and relaunch our community groups. Many of you will be asked to open your home. And you can obey this very verse. Be hospitable. Open your home to a small group and begin to grow together in a small group. And and do that to one another without grumbling. You know, it's always a discouraging thing to see someone serve the Lord and then complain about it. (laughs) Oh man, I can't believe how hard it is. It's so hard. No, do it without grumbling. Or as we learn in in Philippians, when Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, do all things without murmuring and complaining. But here, don't be a grumbler, but rather serve the Lord with joy. Move forward by the grace of God. Just remember how good God has been to us. I mean, that's just a great place to be. Say, you know, Lord, you've been so good to me. You've been so faithful. You've been so gracious. And when we begin to be overwhelmed by the grace of God, how can we not respond and say, here you are, Lord. This is, take my life. Use me, lead me, guide me. I want to be used in these last days. Because you know, the last days, they have a tendency to press in, don't they? They have a tendency to isolate us. They have a tendency to go, you know, I'm too tired, or, or it's too much, or it's too hard, or it's too challenging. Listen, the Bible does speak of ministry as being work. Uh, it's also referred to as a labor of love. And so serving other people certainly is work, but that work is empowered. Where do you gain the power to serve God? From the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he'll give you the strength. Oh, you might go home tired. You might go home exhausted. You might go home thinking, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. That's possible. But then you get a good night's sleep. God speaks to you in your dreams. And you get up and go, all right, Lord, let's do it again. What do you have for me today? So faithful to us. Now notice verse 10. It says, each one of us have received a gift. There isn't any believer listening to me right now that hasn't received a spiritual gift. At least one of them. Some of you have more than one. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't gone through our study of the spiritual gifts, go to our app under the message section and under the series, we did a series on spiritual gifts. You you need to listen to them because I know and I'm confident as your pastor, as your friend, if you listen to that series, it's through the seven primary motivational gifts listed in Romans chapter 12. Every single one of us have one of those primary movement, motivational, they move you gifts. Every one of us have one, that, like a, a primary one. Some of us have more than one, but there's one that just really it describes you. It, it really reflects who you are and how God's made you. Every one of you has one, and you need to know what it is. And a lot of times I, I would ask you, do you know what your spiritual gift is? And, and sometimes people know, and sometimes people make up a gift. I'm like, that's not a gift. Where'd you get that from? You know, I got the spiritual gift of car washing. That's not a gift. If you think you have the spiritual gift of car washing, here's what your spiritual gift is. Service. Service. That's what the Bible says. You have a heart to serve. Like you could even really say, you know, I just really like cleaning houses. I really like washing cars. I really like being able to, in Jesus' name, use my practical skills in bringing about a clean car, a clean home, a clean office to someone. Well, that came from the spiritual gift of serving. You like to serve in Jesus' name. And there's a lot of places within the body of Christ and in this dark world where the gift of service comes into play. So the, the series is up on the app. We'll get to it you know, in many, many months in our study in Acts coming up soon. But because it's going to be a long time from now, I really, if you don't know what your gift is, 
I want you to listen to that series. It starts with an explanation of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit so you can understand the third person of the Trinity, God, who has revealed himself in the third person of the Holy Spirit. We go through who he is, how he operates, and then we go through those gifts. And I know, I'm confident. I've even taught those, those gifts in a two-week, or in a, I, we had a two-week class. I had one week, one week in the Bible college to teach these gifts. And I told those kids, I said, believe me, by the time we're done with this week, you will know your spiritual gift. And I, I, I think almost all the kids, at least the kids that were paying attention, they know their spiritual gift. And they were able to walk out with confidence of where, because once you know what your spiritual gift is, then you can obey this verse. So everyone's been given a gift, so now you know, minister it. And you might walk away going, oh, I don't know my gift, so I don't have to minister. Well, now it's your responsibility. You need to know where you're gifted. How God has given you a supernatural, not just natural abilities, but spiritual gifts that match up with your ability. For example, those that, those that have a tendency to enjoy travel will usually be involved in missions. It's now, the, traveling is not the gift. <laughs> traveling is not the gift. You're going to operate your gift in your personality. You're like, I like I like the world. I like expressing, experiencing new cultures. And, and you could even have that before you were a believer. And then when you get saved, you go, man, I have this desire for quality. How does that work? You know, what, what does that look like? And when then you find out in your church, you got, your church has missionaries all over the world. And then you start looking at the wall and you're praying through the missionaries and you're like, man, that's a country I really care about. I'm going to pull that card. I'm going to reach out to them and ask them how. And then, man, then you hear about a short-term trip. Boom, you get on the, you start raising support, you get on a short-term trip, and before you know it, you're on the stage, we're praying you, praying over you to send you out full-time. Why? Because God has moved you, but he's also honed your personality. Because a lot of times people are afraid of, you know, for, for example, if I release myself to the Lord, then, then he's going to send me to the other end of the world and make me miserable. Well, do you really think God wants to make you miserable? I mean, that's not really your view of God. Or are you just resistant to releasing yourself and trusting God with your life? It's like, well, yeah, God, as soon as I let myself go, so I'm going to control my life. I'm never going to do anything. I'm never going to serve. So that way, God can never ruin my life. No, he doesn't need to ruin your life because you're ruining your life. And God would never want to ruin your life. He may stretch you. He may lead you to a place. But that stretching is just to develop you in maturity. I could see that very illustration in my life. Even to this day, traveling is not really high on my list of things I like to do. However, over the years, God has added to me such a desire to support churches and pastors and missionaries that are isolated that he has helped me get over the difficulty of traveling. I mean, it's just when I have a trip coming up, it's not like, oh, yay, yay, yay. But when I get there, yay. I love being there. I love experiencing with my own eyes. I, I love being there serving alongside of them. I love going on short-term trips where, where I'm just a part of the trip and someone else is leading it. And I'm just a part of the trip and let's go. Let's experience it together. Let's dig ditches together. Let's distribute food. Let's make sure the pastor's loved on, cared for. Let's take them gifts. But God isn't hasn't, I never really had a personality to see the world. So those of you that do have that personality, you can see how needed you are. Because it took me years to get there. It took me years before I literally left. I was always comfortable as a pastor. This is what I'm called to do. This is where I belong. And I was always comfortable sending, sending. That's my role. Send, send, a disciple. Send, send, send. Until the Lord said, when are you going to go? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, I don't want to go. I'm sending. I am going. When you go, I go. Remember that time when David went to battle and he left people back with the, with the supplies? When they came back from victory, he says, you know what? You guys that stayed back, you're just the same as those of us that went to battle. And that's how I'm like, I'll stay back. No problem. Stay back. I'd love to hear the reports. And so here when the Bible says in the last days, seriousness, watchfulness, prayerfulness, fervent love, and serve out, out, of, out of a gracious motivation. Not because you have to, but because you understand the days in which you live. 
you know where you belong in the body of Christ. Every single one of us in the body of Jesus Christ has received a spiritual gift to use for the glory of God. And a gift is different than a talent. You learn that in that series on spiritual gifts. And so you ask the question, what do I, how do I know what gifts I have? Well, you can listen to that series, but I also want to give you a few questions to ask of yourself as you consider your spiritual gifts. Number one, some practical considerations. What comes naturally in your life? What comes naturally? In other words, what happens in your life automatically when there is a need placed before you? Do you like to administrate? Like when something's chaotic and it just bugs you to no end and you want to bring order to that, you probably have the gift of administration because that's what people do. Like some of you don't even know, you don't even see disorder. Disorder is normal to you, not the gift of administration. But those that can't stand that and just love things to be in order, love things to be efficient, love things to, to, to operate much more smoothly, there's administration there. Or how about when there's a need bit, when you see a need and you just want to jump in and take care of it? Perhaps you have the gift of helps, where you just want to get things done. You just want to help get things done. That's it. You don't worry, you don't worry about the order or disorder. You just know when somebody tells you to do something, you're going to help them. You have the gift of helps. How about, uh, do you have a care, like, like when, you, when you see or hear about, I don't know, you're watching the news and, and you hear about a cat that's stuck in a tree. And when you hear about a cat that's stuck in the tree, your first response is, oh, please get that cat out of the tree. How's that cat going to get out? What if it falls? Oh. Maybe as a kid, you would bring home birds with broken wings and try to nurse them back. You know, there's a gift that describes that personality. You know what it is? The gift of mercy. You know, a lot of people in the care industry, nurses, doctors, those first responders, those that like to be teachers, they have the gift of mercy. They're very merciful. And that's how God made you. Those are all God-given gifts that walk alongside of your personality. Isn't that great? God doesn't want to ruin your life. He wants to enhance your life. Number two, what comes naturally? Number two, what comes spiritually? What comes to you spiritually? Are you the type that you can't hold back when you meet someone new? You just have to share with them the love of Jesus? Well, you're doing the work of an evangelist. And a work of evangelist is a teacher. You're teaching them what it means to be lost and to be saved. And you're doing the work of an evangelist. You, you may try to shy away from the call, but as it just pushes you spiritually, you can't shake it. I remember many years ago, there was a brother here that was teaching, and he had a role of teaching here, uh, but it didn't come naturally to him, but he was willing. He was willing to put in the work, and he was willing to, to for a season, just really apply himself to teaching. But it didn't come really natural to him, and it actually didn't come very spiritual to him. And I was noticing that in the fruit or the lack thereof in his ministry. So I sat down with him to talk to him about that. And as we were talking about it, you know, I found out that he hated to study. He just didn't want to study, didn't like putting the time in. And so he would often take shortcuts and he would copy this and do this and he wouldn't put the time to study in. And because he really didn't want to place, put the time to study in, he learned that teaching wasn't his primary gift. And he stepped away from that ministry because it just frustrated him. He didn't enjoy it. What moves you spiritually? What comes naturally? Number three, look in your life. What is blessed by God? What is blessed by God? Be on the lookout for the fruit of your labors. And also be on the lookout for the lack of fruit in your labors. Are you merciful and people listen when you counsel? When you teach, do people learn and respond? What is God blessing as you abide in Christ? Because if it's not blessed of God, you may want to continue in prayer and step out into new areas of ministry. I make a joke about this, but I'm really serious. When we ask for people that greet, uh, like on a Sunday morning, and you're not a morning person, you're probably not a greeter either. You know, that's the last thing we need is a, somebody coming in. They just woke up themselves, visiting the church. They've never been here. And you're the first person they meet. Welcome. <laughs> what do you want? I haven't had my coffee yet. They took away the free coffee in this church. You probably don't want to come here. <laughs> no, you know, we need to hide you in the morning. 
You might want to serve on second service or you may want to, like you, there's not going to be fruit if you just aren't a morning person. Well, we're, it's okay if you're not a morning person, but don't do something in the morning. Know that that's not from you. I, I remember the first time I felt a sense to, to a call to teach and to lead. I was a new believer and they allowed me to lead a home Bible study. Mistake number one. And as I was leading this home Bible study, I really believed that in ministry it was just teaching. That's, I really had no concept of ministry at all. I just thought I was teaching. So I prepare a Bible study and I'd show up at this house and I'd teach a group of people. Until as you get involved in other people's lives, there's difficulties. And teaching isn't just merely the preparation of a Bible study and delivering a message for a few minutes. It's also getting involved in people's lives and handling the Bible in such a way where those that are under your care, right? You're not just teaching, but you're caring for people. The Bible actually says that we watch over souls, that you also have to deliver the Bible in sensitive areas and sensitive things. And there was a difficulty in that particular Bible study that I was called to take care of, and I absolutely blew it. I just, I blew it so bad that the previous leader of that home Bible study came back and they voted me out of leadership. They told me, don't, you can't lead. I was not even in a position. There was no fruit from my life. There were other things God needed to deal with in my life and grow me and teach me. Yeah, I was on the long burn. It was a long fuse of discipleship before God would ever entrust to me another group of people. And he put me in a, a wide variety of different places that were very humbling and very difficult and very unseen. The, the, the first place of responsibility that I was given after that failure as a home Bible study leader was to serve in the nursery and the whole babies and uh, to be back there with screaming, crying babies. And God was teaching me how to care for other people's children. He was teaching me how to submit to leadership, those that God had put over my care. He was teaching me that, that babies can tell when they're loved and cared for, and they can tell when they're not. They have a unique ability to, to, to I don't know how they do it. They just are able to say, they're able to, to and, and if they're still kind of hesitant, then you can learn how to gain their trust so that you can comfort them until their parents come back. And then I go from babies to pre-K, four-year-olds, and I keep going through, and I went, ended up going through the entire area of teaching every single age group except for junior high and high school. And then after teaching every single age group over a series of years, then I was entrusted with overseeing all the teachers and all the kids. And then I did that for many years until God then opened another door over here and another door over here, and I began to see where there was fruit for my life. And you don't want to keep moving in a direction where there's just no fruit. You need to admit that God's not in this. We approach that as a church here too. I know not everyone is happy about this, but when we begin to see a ministry is no longer bearing fruit, we let it go. We don't try to prop it up and, oh, we got to keep this going because it's absolutely necessary that we have this ministry because every church in town has that ministry. So we want to be like every church in town. No, that's not how we approach things. If there's no fruit, then we let it go. It doesn't mean, you know, and you remember this, not from the Lord and also in the life of your church, especially if you're new here. It, not now doesn't mean not forever. It just means not now. And we need to admit that there, even on a personal level, we need to come to terms with the Lord. If there's no fruit in what you're attempting, then why are you doing it? God is going to demonstrate, and the fruit that comes is not your energy and effort. It's not the conclusion from you. It is God's blessing upon his ministry through your life. You know your ministry, you're ministering it, and there is fruit from it. If there's not, it's good to pause. God may want you to continue in prayer. Why? Because the whole purpose back in Peter now is that if anyone ministers, verse 11, let him do it with the ability that God supplies and that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God has not given you a gift to glorify you so that people will look to you, so that you'll have a platform, so that you people will know how gifted you are. Nobody cares how gifted you are. It's for the glory of God, for his dominion, his kingdom, not your own. And it's very important that you learn that. 
whether you learn that here or you learn that somewhere else. We serve the Lord to shine the light on Jesus, not our own little, we're not here, we're not here to build our own little kingdom. We're here to promote the kingdom of God for his glory. It's for so that God might be glorified. And this is all in the context of the pain and suffering that the early church was going through. He says, I know you're hurting right now. I know you're on the run. I know you've lost everything. I know you want to quit. I know you're mad at God. I know you're mad at Rome. I know you're mad at one another. This is my word for you. Serious, watchful, prayerful, Make sure you love one another. Make a great emphasis on that. That's the most important thing. And once you've got those things taken care of, serve the Lord. This is no time. Difficult times is no time to go backwards. It's time to press in. And that's why I think Peter is just such an applicable book for our day and age. Challenging times require us to press into the heart of God, not pull back. Let me show you one more thing. Would you turn over to Romans chapter 13? Romans chapter 13. We studied this in depth when we went through Romans, uh, but I want to paraphrase or at least come and give a, a little bit of oversight here because Paul tells the Romans the same thing. You're going to find this call of waking up and watchfulness is a common one, this call to love so that the church would be known for our love for one another. Notice Romans 13 and verse 11. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now, we were just reading Peter, right? 1 Peter chapter 4. Now we're reading someone by the name of Paul writing to a whole different group of people at a different time in the first century. Do they sound alike? Yes? No? Sounds the same, right? Two different men writing to two different churches in two different time periods, right? You know, separated by a few years. You want to know why they sound alike? Because God is the author of the Bible. And the Holy Spirit has inspired both Paul and Peter to say the same thing. Different words, different, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of adjustment. But God has inspired two separate men at two different times in two different places to do different churches to say the same thing. And so here we are now, 2,000 years later. What are we hearing? The same thing. It's time to wake up, church. The coming of the Lord is nearer. Verse 12, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, not in drunkenness, not in licentiousness, not in lewdness, not in strife and envy. So there's some sexual sins, some partying sins, but don't, you, don't, you, don't miss the last two. Not in strife and envy. Now, if you guys like to put things together, you can go home and do your homework, compare what Peter said in chapter 4 to what Paul said in here, chapter 13, and do a little bit of arrows between, when Peter said it this way, but Paul said it this way. And when Peter said, love covers a multitude of sins, Paul says, stop striving and envy, being envy with one another. Stop fighting, church. You're fighting the wrong enemy. When you fight one another in the body of Christ, when we major on the minors in the body of Christ, then we are fighting the wrong enemy. Believers are not our enemies. The devil is our enemy. False teachers are our enemies. False doctrine is an enemy. But believers are not enemies, even if they do things a little differently and they have a different flavor of how they worship God. Heaven's going to be, one of the surprises of heaven, besides you getting in, is the diversity of everyone that's in heaven. He said, you're going to get in heaven and you got in. And what they're going to say about you, you got in, we got in. Yes. And you're different and I'm different. That's why there's a variety of churches in our community. So there's a variety of people, a variety of personalities. And there's just some personalities. Some churches have a more high energy personality. Some churches have low energy. Some churches are in the middle. But God uses us all as we agree on the fundamentals of the faith. There are brothers, and you guys listening on the radio right now, you, you're watching online, you may do things a little differently than us, you may participate, worship a little different, you, you might have different, but listen, as a true brother and sister in the Lord, you are our brothers and sisters, you are our family. We want to yoke together with every real church in this community to reach the lost so that he gets the glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. That is the work of God among us. So these last days, 
The word is to wake up. And I know some of you fell asleep during this. Wake up. Wake up. I remember <laughs> back in the school, back in the school, the chairs were so close. We were like right there. I was on, the, the pulpit was on the floor and the chairs were like there. And there was this guy up front that always fell asleep. One, one Sunday he was clipping his toenails or his, his, not his toenails, but his, what do you call these? Fingernails. Sorry, thank you. Uh, his fingernails right during the teaching. That was one week. But most weeks he fell asleep. He would just fall asleep right there. You could hear him snow sometimes in the second or third row. And I remember one week, one Sunday, I was just feeling a little, um, you know, just a little, I don't know, playful. And there was a part in the message where I could raise my voice a little bit. And that, that old pulpit that was the principal's pulpit was a big wood one, made all this echo. I remember just going, boom, wake up. And it's, oh, he woke up. And it would have been funny if he felt what he didn't. But he did wake up. So, but I learned this too. This is something I learned back in California because I taught on Thursdays. I was the singles pastor for two and a half years and I taught on Thursdays and it was our Thursday night meeting. And you know, it was hard to get to church on Thursdays. It was a long week and, and people came and they fell asleep. And in the beginning, I didn't really understand it. Like, so I was a little offended. I was like, man, what's wrong with my teaching? I'm just putting people to sleep. But, but as I began to talk with folks and learn why they were falling asleep, you know, 12-hour days, five days a week, like, it, it's okay. You fall asleep. You come here awake. You come here asleep. The Holy Spirit will get to your spirit. It's all right. It's better to be asleep here where the Holy Spirit can speak to you uh, than to be snoozing, watching TV off and on at home. And the Holy Spirit loves you. And yeah, you might be sleeping. You might be tired tonight. But what you've presented to him, God will use. I mean, I'd rather have five minutes of you awake than nothing. And then you just get the rest that you need. And you ask God to give you the strength. And then you keep coming on a midweek because God will honor that. You will leave and you will be blessed that you came. You will be blessed. And so he says, wake up. It's time to wake up. You're asleep spiritually. Cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. And I would just say this, my final word. Don't give an inch to your flesh, church. Don't feed your flesh. Don't give an inch to it. Make no provision. Isn't that what he says in verse 14? Put, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Don't feed it. Don't coddle it. Don't make excuses for your flesh. Crucify your flesh. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. For some of you, you've got to watch, you've got to get rid of certain shows. And others of you, you've got to get rid of different internet stuff. You've got to put stuff on your, maybe you need to get rid of your smartphone. But you need to not make provision for your flesh. You need to avoid certain places. You need to get off social media. I don't know what it is. I can go through a list of things. But I promise you, if you ask the Lord, He knows what it is. And He'll show you, stop feeding your flesh. You think you're going to get away with it? Do you think it's not going to end? Well, you think it's just going to, well, you know, I can kind of control my flesh. You know, it's okay. It's all fine. No, make no provision is, the, is what God says. And if your heart is left to its own, remember, our hearts will deceive us. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Paul said in Romans chapter 7 verse 18, for I know that in me that is in my flesh, no good thing dwells. No good thing. And so I want to learn to stay away, as far away from sin and temptation as possible. I don't want to feed my flesh. I don't want to make excuses for it. I want to live a crucified life. Crucify my flesh and reckon the old man dead. I want to walk in the newness of life. I want to walk in the holiness that comes by faith in Jesus. I want to walk in the purity that comes by trusting him. I want to live in righteousness and truth. We want to be found in him, awake, walking, living in the spirit. And so we thank God tonight for a wake-up call for Calvary Aurora. Wake up, church, and let the Lord use you in these last days. So, Father, we thank you for this word from your spirit tonight. In the days in which we live and the call upon our lives is, is what you desire. And it was there for Peter. It, it was there for the believers, the, the dispersion. It was theirs for the Romans. It was there for the Corinthians. It was there, God, from James. It was there from you, Jesus, when you came in your ministry. You call us to wake up, to wake up. That you would bring us to a place of ma making no provision for the flesh. And so just in a fresh way today, if the Lord spoke to you, 
and, and you just want to affirm that God spoke to you tonight, would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. And you're just like, hey, the Lord spoke to me through this message. It is what I needed to hear. It's what God had for me. I just want you to respond. I want to give you a chance to respond just as the Holy Spirit is affirming his word to you. He knew he were going to hear this tonight. He knew how it would be delivered. He knew what he wanted to stir in your life. You're here by an appointment by God. And you guys online and on the radio live right now, you can respond. God knows and sees you guys downstairs in the overflow. You know, and God knows. And so if you would, those of you that are sitting down, would you just look around? Someone standing next to you, we go lay hands on them and just pray for them. Um, just, I'm going to pray, but you can pray with them. And just look for someone standing, like, and someone that doesn't have someone standing next to them. Just move around and let the church be the church tonight. Um, right here up front, if you guys want to come up, there's some right here in the middle here. So you guys got to move. If you're sitting, come on up um, right here in the middle. And you can just walk, and your section doesn't have to be your section. Um, right here. So what do we got left? You guys want to get up? You guys want to get up and lay hands? Yes? No? It's the body of Christ. Come on up. Right in here. Rick, you guys want, you want to come up? Lay hands on someone? Come on. Come on, guys. Let's be the body of Christ. You guys believers? Come on. Let's do it. Let's do it. Do something new tonight. Something fresh. Right here in the middle. There's a whole section right here in the middle. And just go for it. Right, right here in the back. There you go, Abner. Thank you. And the Lord wants to... And why this tangible touch? Because the Spirit of God wants you to know you are in a family. You are the church. So God, I pray for those of us uh, here tonight, you've spoken to us about waking up. And even some, it's just like doing something that's uncomfortable for them. But let it be comfortable. Let them be the body of Christ. Let that tangible touch be a sense of, wow, I obeyed God tonight. And that you would stir us up as a church, that we might be all that you called us to be in these last days. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord, and be glorified that you might have glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.